Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between. Then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I am your friend, Henry, and I'm drinking a Coca-Cola today, guys. Mm. That sounded yeah. extra creepy, Henry, by the way. That's extra a Mexican creep. Cokes. Oh, I love mm. Mexican Coke. It's so mm-hmm. good. I'm Chris, by the way, and that voice you hear is Megan, our newest addition full-time. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. I don't have any Mexican Coke or vanilla vanilla cherry Coke, Henry. What is it, vanilla? This is orange vanilla. I do have a mm-hmm. double martini with um, blue cheese olives. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I had to lay off the booze tonight. I had to add it until uh, Megan brought it up, but until this election thing gets official, I'm going to add booze as opposed to lay Just off keep- booze. Poor but it on is it. official. Like, that's the thing. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. So, guys, I think we haven't done this in a while, but why don't we introduce the show with um, the Rags Method, how we pick the albums that we're going to cover. And by the way, we are covering um, August of 1982 this week. And Henry, I'll start with you. What does R stand for? It is for the Rolling Stone four and five star reviews from back in the day. We take a look at those when we make our decision. That's right. And A is for the um, all music website. Also four or five star reviews. Um, all music covers um, every record released. They claim every record released in America to current day. So if it's got a four or five star in all music, we will review it. G is the Grammy nominated um, albums for that year. So if a, if an album was Grammy nominated that year, we will cover it. And Henry, what's S? Stuff that our listeners uh, want reviewed or that we want reviewed. That's right. If it doesn't fit any of the other three categories, but we feel like it needs to be reviewed or you guys feel like it needs to review be reviewed, we are going to do that. Got some email from a listener uh, named Carla who says that we need to review the Hooters. Tell us where Carla's from. Carla is from Chattanooga, uh, or at least she was from Chattanooga. She's in Georgia now. Okay. Um, But she was a Chattanooga kid. She said that uh, the 1982 World's Fair was fantastic. Do you guys remember talking about that? Yes, Mm -hmm. I do. And uh, she went with her sixth grade class and rode the rides with her parents and saw exhibits, ate Hungarian goulash and said it was great. She still remembers the Philippine tropical fish and the Chinese soldiers, and the Peruvian gold. She lived in Knoxville. Okay, it wasn't Chattanooga, it was Knoxville. Right. Okay, she lived in Knoxville during the early aughts, and the first time uh, she went to the, uh, the World's Fair, she could picture exactly where things had been in 82. Right, right. So it looks like Nervous Night was their big album. That came out in 1985, so it's definitely going to be one that we're probably going to hit. She also mentioned um, the Robert Palmer version of that song by the Gap Band. It's called Early in the Morning. Yeah. Do you guys, does that ring a bell? Yeah, I. this is how geeky I am. I've been going back through all of Robert Palmer's stuff. I think he's, for me, he's like a lost classic um, yeah. artist. So yeah, I, was, I heard that the other day and it surprised me. When I listened to it, I, I thought, well, maybe that's the one I remember instead of the Gap Band version. Because it's, it ringed a lot more in my head. Like, maybe that's the one that I heard. Right. I think the Gap Band version was definitely on the radio more, but I was kind of shocked when I heard it. I mean, I was like, 
it's one of those songs where when you hear him doing the cover, I'm like, that's not his song. Wait, I know that song. <laughs> I know that song. say she wanted me to tell you guys that thanks for making her work day more interesting and that's the best compliment that that i've gotten from a listener and i really appreciate that makes makes what we do worth it you know yeah, yeah definitely I, mean, I thought maybe we should preview the albums at the beginning of the episode this month we're going to listen to marshall crenshaw's self-titled album marshall crenshaw michael mcdonald if that's what it takes mm. depeche mode a broken frame Interesting. <laughs> Luther Vandross, forever, for always, mm. for love. Do you have to say it that way? It, there's a there's a comma I, in I there. I feel like you do. Forever. I, mean, I agree. For always, for love. Right. And the Go-Go's record called Vacation. Ooh, exciting. I can't wait to get there. But before we do that, Henry, we need to talk about the significant events from August of 1982. So are you guys ready to go back? guys were talking about how we have anxiety now in 1982 the u.s and the ussr were doing like nuclear testing each of these countries did nuclear testing they did two in august each of them so if you can imagine what people were thinking they did psychological studies back then about the the impact of living under this pervasive dread I think people knew, but not everybody knew the extent of what was probably going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You didn't communicate. Everything was filtered kind of probably through your perception of the world around you, too, you know? And it was always like, you know, think about some of the movies that came out the next year were like the day after, big like... uh, nuclear apocalypse movie and they were it was like a made for tv movie. yeah yeah and they'd be like don't don't watch you know this this is you know your kids could be disturbed and you know and also in 83 they did like war games with broderick matthew broderick so it's like this meeting of like the hacker culture with the threat of thermonuclear war Mm -hmm. you know but people had anxiety back then i don't think it's like it is today to your point like we see you know, yeah. we have this instantaneous culture that feeds us this drip of anxiety all the time to try to tell us stuff. This was in its infancy in 82, you know. My favorite Atari 2600 video game, Berserk, was released uh, in August of 1982. Now, Henry tried to correct me before the show. The actual, <laughs> the actual arcade version of Berserk came out earlier, but this was, I'm just talking about the 2600, uh, Atari 2600 version that I played all the time as a little kid. Um, I'd never heard of this. Of the of the game? Yeah, I didn't I don't know why I hadn't. I knew everything like other things. Because. I looked at clips of it and it was like, okay, maybe I remember something like that. <laughs> or or I have it conflated with like combat or something. I don't right. know. Well most games on the twenty six hundred weren't far from combat. That's true. Also what came out during that time was Donkey Kong Jr. Yes. So Don- it wasn't Donkey Kong, it was Junior and it was Mario was the evil guy in this one, and you were the gorilla trying to save the dad, Donkey, 
uh, Donkey Kong, but it was the same concept, basically the same game, just on vines. Right. You climbed vines and stuff instead of that. And also there was this game called Jungle Hunt, which is the first game that they call it Parallax, where you move left and right. You right, know? right. It's like a, like you, they call them side scrollers too. Yeah, yeah, side mm. scrollers. That's the first time that they had done that. Also in August of eighty two was ColecoVision. The guy in my neighborhood, like he was the most <laughs> popular dude in the neighborhood because he had ColecoVision and it kicked every other game's ass. Henry, in in uh, August of nineteen eighty two, Fast Times at Ridgemont High hit the theaters. Friday the Thirteenth nice. Part Three and The World According to Garp. That's a pretty power month, I think, for movies. That was power. Mm-hmm. They were already to the third Friday the 13th movie at that yeah, point. Yeah, I was kind of shocked with that, too, that they were already up to the third one God dang. at that point. They were pumping them out pretty quick, I think. Yeah. And, and the, those, I, was it the line in The World According to Garp where she said, no glove, no love? The 80s. <laughs> I think I remember that. I think that was also, I think that movie was kind of weird for me as a kid, though, because wasn't that the first movie Robin Williams was in that he wasn't just like, doing the Robin Williams stick. He was like kind of a serious character. In that. I seem to remember that. Yeah. Like he was quiet. Like he wasn't a real character running off at the mouth all the time. Yeah. So it was kind of, it kind of tripped me. It out. wasn't Mork and Mindy. No, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've seen it. It's really good. It's worth seeing. It's from a great book okay. too. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. Also, when I was a kid, I remember thumbing through the newspaper and this is the month that, uh, Pink Floyd's the wall played in theaters. Wow. Mm, the Bob Geldof. Yeah. Yes. And I remember being scared because the, the poster was a guy with his mouth wide open. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh, this, I, that's kind of creepy. I don't think I ever want to see that. Turns out it was a little creepy. Yeah. The image is at the end where he cuts all his, uh, his eyebrows off the, and all his eyebrows. Off his face. Yeah, I've never watched that. You've got a lot of August of 82 stuff you can check out. Especially now with the lockdown part two. Mm -hmm. That's right. You've got plenty of time in lockdown part two to get to it. All right. So let's uh, let's come back to 2020 and we will start with our uh, album reviews. What do you guys say? Sounds good. All right, so the first album that we are going to review is by uh, Marshall Crenshaw. It's his self-titled debut. It is an all-music five-star album. It's also a Rolling Stone four-star album. And the song we're going to play is called Someday, Some Way. have to go to youtube for this one yeah yes i did why doesn't he put his stuff on spotify like some people even like podcasts or whatever they Mm -hmm. have a weird thing with spotify where they're not going to like let their stuff be on there thank you um just because of the compensation level i guess Mm -hmm. so for me i don't know that was probably his biggest album too his debut album so it's kind of odd that at least that one is not on streaming services so what I knew about Marshall Crenshaw was, I think the first time I ever heard about him, I knew that he was Buddy Holly in that movie La Bamba. Which makes sense. That's the only, that's the first, and then I, was, I said, this guy's Marshall Crenshaw. I was like, oh, he looks like Buddy Holly. 
turns out the guy had an obsession with Buddy Holly in all of his records. But he gets tagged with this like American Elvis Costello thing, which I think is un- yeah. kind of unfair. That, mm-hmm. I, I just felt like his stuff was a little more Buddy Holly 50s inspired, but maybe more awkward and more cerebral than than Elvis Costello. Yeah, I always feel like I kind of lump him in with like as an Elvis Costello type of like artist. And I don't know if it's because he was like a solo male artist of that mm-hmm. kind of like general genre of music at that time. Yeah, at the time okay. he was definitely sporting the like I thought it was the Elvis the Costello Buddy or Buddy Holly. Yeah, that same kind but, of But but he has seemed to me he had more in common with um oh gosh, Chris, the guy you know yeah, what I'm the, talking about? Yeah, he definitely, to me, had more of a Nick Lowe, um, yes, Dave that, Edmonds, yeah. rock pile kind of thing. But then Elvis Costello was on the fringes of that. So yeah. um, instead of Buddy Howie, I, I kind of always have lumped him in as a bad American version of Elvis Costello. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't know until this, researching for this, that he came straight from the Broadway production of Beatlemania um, to make this record. Henry, I think we talked about this before. I see Mm -hmm. Marshall Crenshaw as like a different, a different type of imitation of Elvis Costello from like what Huey Lewis is. And I think Huey Lewis pulled it off a lot better. The American version of Elvis Costello, man, it just, I don't know. I think we don't realize because we weren't big fans at the time, what kind of influence Elvis Costello had on music at that time. Yeah. I know what you mean. The, uh, Marshall Crenshaw was not on my radar until later in life. So anything that I know about this guy is filtered through, you know, historical context. Like people tell me uh, how important he was. I liked the album. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't feel negatively about it. I I thought it was a first record from a guy who's learning how to play. Yeah, I, I guess I guess for me, though, I think the songs were really accomplished. And I think he thought of himself as more than just starting out. I think he really thought, uh, coming from his background, that he was there already. I just have trouble getting past the whole Americanized Elvis Costello copy, copycat kind of thing. But I do think the songs are well written. I, 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 I don't, I'm not bashing the songs in any way. I thought, I thought they were written well, but I thought they had... They, but it, it was a first album, I could tell. Like it was somebody really taking their first swing at things. The Cynical Girl song was good. That you compare Huey Lewis and the News oh. and Elvis Costello. Right. Well, so the News actually had worked with Elvis Costello on his first record. They were the studio band before the attractions. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. And then um was the connection there. But I, I definitely think if you listen to early Huey Lewis, you can kind of hear it. And not, I don't mean that in a bad way, I, and I don't think yeah. Huey would mean it in a bad way either, but I think he did a better job than Marshall Crenshaw, if if that's happening. Marshall Crenshaw may tell me to fuck off and be like, I wasn't happy <laughs> right? that was Costello at all, but um, mm-hmm. that's just my my take on it. So, strong feelings. Chris, are you a thumbs down or a thumb, a thumbs up? Man, I can't get through my, you know, that. I do like that Cynical Girl song quite a bit, and I do think yeah. this is a good song. The other problem I had with it, Henry, a little bit is I'm not really a big fan of that, like, rock pile, let's redo this a fi- early this a fi- 60s yeah. music in the 80s. So I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I, I think there were some high moments on it, but I don't think overall it's it's worth, worth I'm, your time. I'm giving it an up because I like the weirdness of this one. I, I, I enjoyed the the... The, the reference that kind of gets squeezed in. I like the awkward feeling of it. Um, I don't know if it would continue for his other records, you know? Right. But yeah, that's how I feel about it. What about you, Megan? What about you, Megan? I would give it a thumbs up too. Like I like his voice also. Like I think he has a really good voice and it is kind of weird. And I've always, I've dabbled with Marshall Crenshaw a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause it'll come up on like my recommended playlists a lot and mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll like what I hear, but I just don't ever delve deeper necessarily. Same with like Rock Pile. I didn't hate that, but like I'm never probably going to listen to it. Yeah, it's something that I, I don't feel enough about it to be like angry about it, but it, it didn't really move me a lot. I, I will say this in his defense. Later period, like post 2000. Uh, Marshall Crenshaw, I like as good or better than Elvis Costello really? post 2000. <laughs> so, for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So the next record we're going to consider, Michael McDonald. If that's what it takes, you're going to play part of, okay, forget, play it. about doing this guys like i don't know that i i don't know that i'm gonna like this album any more than the last album we covered but comparing song to song sometimes on the podcast i find that song to be way better than anything fucking marshall crenshaw has ever done michael mcdonald is like the pontoon of yachty yachtness of all time i think he's the The king of yacht rock i mean here he is the effortless king of the quiet storm yeah, he is. He's the Elvis Presley of yacht rock. I mean, if you needed a yacht rock hit back then, you just had him come in and sing backup. He's 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 the backup singer on a bunch of yacht rock songs too. He has a whole career because Steely Dan called his ass in there. Mm-hmm. He's basically. got a great voice too. Yeah, and he basically transformed the Doobie Brothers from blues rock <laughs> into yacht rock. But but guys, the problem I had was I was so excited because I love that song and I'm I'm a yacht rock fan. I did not like the album. It was just kind of, eh. What did you guys I mean, think? it wasn't Yacht Rock, definitely. Right. I was completely distracted by the fact that this guy has a singular voice. Right. Yeah. He he doesn't, it, it it's very low mouth movement. You know, like in, everybody who's anybody has a Michael McDonald impression. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that to Rick Astley. Daryl Hall. Yeah. Nobody tries to imitate Daryl Hall. He's it's clear he's got songwriting chops, mm-hmm. you know. But but I also knew that this is the same guy who did that stuff with um with the Doobie Brothers, Chris. Like what a fool believes minute by minute. Yeah, so he to the streets. So yeah. he's he knows how to write songs. I'm just not sure they're on this album. Well, that's what I think that's the interesting thing. So like he this is right after the quote unquote breakup of the Doobie brothers. They would get back together a couple times, but they, you know, they had brought him into the Doobie brothers when they had, when their singer was out sick, he meshed so well with them. that even when the new, the old singer came back, they kept Michael McDonald on. So there were a lot of later Doobie brothers hits that he sang on, but he didn't sing all the leads on all the songs that they did. Mm. But so this was like the solo record after the breakup of the Doobies. And I think what it showed was, I think there was, a lot more uh, writing going into the Doobie Brothers songs per album collectively than just Michael McDonald because yeah he had a lot of their big hits but I don't think I don't think he had enough to carry a whole album that's what I heard on this there's a couple mm-hmm. definite standout tracks and and Megan we might have discussed this last um, episode where there's there's bands that, and or, or artists that were like man I like their singles but. I don't know that they're an album artist. Oh, definitely. I mean, like Queen is a great mm-hmm. example of that. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I guess we I guess we talked about Journey and maybe uh, a couple others. I can't think of off the top of my head. Maybe I don't want to say Toto, but kind of Toto, too, where you're like, mm-hmm. their hits are so much stronger than some of the other tracks on the record. Oh, and, yeah. And I and I felt that way with this this album because there was a couple songs on here that I was really like, man, if the whole album was this good this would be like a Steely Dan record. It would be, it would be like, Oh my gosh, this is, and that the other thing, Henry, I don't know if you felt this way, but I kept going back to, Oh my gosh, Steely Dan records are this good all the way through. Like those dudes could write a full album worth of this. Kind I don't of stuff. know if you did this, Chris, you probably did. Cause you're such a Steely Dan completist. Right. But <laughs> there, there are clips on 
YouTube of them. I think it's Peg. Does yeah, well, yeah, right? yeah. Because he that did the, sound like the song. Yeah, where well, they brought him in to do the backing vocals. Yeah, and so like they had this is before Fagan and one of them one of them passed away. Becker. Yeah, Walter Becker. Becker, right? But him and Becker, Becker was still alive, and they were isolating tracks from Peg. And toward the end of the clip, they get to Michael McDonald's parts. Okay, and you pull down all the all the faders and listen to just him. The guy was amazingly talented. He did a couple parts on, on top of himself. All in 3D, boring movie. Let's check it out his high part just to embarrass him. Cool. Back to you. Okay. Back to you. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. There it is. Totally ears too. All in 3D, boring movie. Back to you. Peg doesn't sound like much of a part, but the harmonies were so close that um, that was a, a real learning experience for me to sing a chord, you know, part by part with myself. That You know, when you're going back into to sing that next harmony, it's so close to the note you're singing, it real hard for me to discern that interval and, and keep it in pitch, you know. It's kind of you a know. creepy background Which is very vocal. Specific. Yeah, and if you listen to it, it's like he has to change like four notes and like just like yeah. he's playing a saxophone or something and he does it perfectly. And so like it's weird because you know, in this batch of records that we're listening to now, I know that we have two people who were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, two like class who two stellar world celebrated vocalists, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um are in this batch and this guy is one of them i didn't even realize how good he was because he had like a falsetto that was just uh amazing and then he could just smear things to paste it's almost like he was a color yeah and again mm-hmm. I, th- I think we can sing the praises of michael mcdonald but this album specifically yeah. I, I don't think it lives up to well to he's that. not i mean if you're expecting like he he was trying to be a pop star at a time where like there was prince and madonna and he ain't yeah. gonna be that guy. Well, honestly, Henry, I also think there was a that, that during this time period there was still the um, uh, late thirties, early forties uh, guy that still wants to be in his late twenties from the from the late seventies that's still hanging yeah, around. Yeah, he's like he's yeah. their guy, right? He's he's their guy still putting out. I don't think he was going for the MTV crowd as much as he was going for the. Yeah. A single guy that's just newly divorced and hanging out I in the mean, bar all the time. Remember, so I was like, you're going to ask me, okay, am I as thumbs up or thumbs down? I mean, it's like asking, is, is water wet? I mean, I don't <laughs> you know. Like, Michael McDonald is like, anyway, he's the shit, but the record is just not, I mean, it's not great. You know? It's very it's just, forgettable. Yeah, is. yeah. It it's, is. So, it's it's the so kind of album where you perk up when you hear the singles, and then everything else you're just kind of waiting for singles. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna go thumbs down. How about you, Megan? Yeah, I guess I will too. I will give this a thumbs down. Yeah, I I think it's got it's got a couple great songs, but it's definitely a thumbs down. Uh, Megan, why don't you take us into the next album? So Depeche Mode, A Broken Frame, which the Depeche Depeche Mode and the Doobie Brothers, they were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame via Zoom or whatever. Right, right. (laughs) I wonder if you saw that. I didn't watch it. Like, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I love Depeche Mode. I feel like I know everything that I need to know about them, and it's just kind of sad. Like, I miss live stuff. Yeah, and it's interesting. Doobie Brothers and Depeche Mode, like, had basically records coming out at the same time. But, but, like, I was thinking about that ceremony, if it had been live. What a bizarre pairing, right? Depeche Mode and the Doobie Brothers. Brothers. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. Even Silence, I think that's such a, that's like one of my favorite Depeche Mode songs. Well, let's Easter, play that. Yeah. Why don't we play that? Yeah, yeah.
Well, and this is like, this is early Depeche Mode, which is very different from uh, later Depeche Mode, which that's something that really, I feel like sets them apart from like most musical artists. And that's why they've been able to like stay relevant even now is like they change throughout the years. So this is the first one after Vince Clark had left. So that I think that yeah, yeah. for me was the interesting part of the album. I think Martin Gore was trying the reason the reason I'm not a big fan of this record is I think Martin Gore was still trying to write like what he thought they sounded like before instead of trying to write with his own voice. And I, there's I some really good songs on this record though, but there's some filler too. Yeah, and it feels like it's it to me it's got kind of a one note kind of thing, like everything's kind of similar. But um I definitely think he's gonna get better as a songwriter. I hate holding it against him when all of a sudden he's thrown into I've gotta be the songwriter and they're already mm-hmm. a hit band. I know that's gotta be tough to kind of yeah. take over the reins, but um this one for me falls flat a little bit because of that. So yeah, this record was really sounds like they're they're it's peeling away from some of the more vacuous stuff that was on Speak and Spell, right? I think I pretty much, I hated Speak and Spell. I, I ripped on it. But I can't, I can't like disabuse myself of knowing that this is the first step of many albums that are going to lead these guys to like worldwide fame. So I'm probably listening to the record a little too closely. But you have to, you have to also put it in context of the time because yeah. Speak and Spell was a hit. Vince Clark, yeah. people thought... um I guess it was called Yazoo. Is that what? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're the better move. That was going to be huge. And they couldn't really see Depeche Mode continuing. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, he's trying to Isn't kind that of. funny? I know. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Seeing it in the context of now, you're like, whoa. Um, but at the time, I think Broken Frame also took a hard knock because he wasn't Vince Clark. People were like, nah, you're not as good, kid. The record's kind of like a, mis- a mishmash to me. Like. Like I can tell that Dave Gahan is trying to figure out how to be, but I can also hear that Martin Gore is trying to write more complex songs. Well, and it's, and it's really cool that where Depeche Mode ends up, because if you think about Mm -hmm. it, like when Vince Clark left, that would be like the leader of the band, like the guy that had got them to where they (laughs) were leaving. And then you're like, Oh God, what are we going to do now? Like it was like a big deal. And there was another guy that I know joins later. And so when we listen to some other records, he, his, his influence will be even more, will, will be pronounced as well. Alan. During that, yeah. Alan, yeah. what's his last name, Megan? Wilder. Alan Wilder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Really. This album, like, I don't know. I think Martin Gore, it just kind of shows how good of a songwriter he is because I think he was able to kind of like, and Dave Dunn, like when he got into like the deeper vocals because he has like he's very like it's all high-pitched and kind of I don't mm-hmm. know very not frou-frou or anything but kind of just eh, bubble gum a little bit but then he gets a little he knows his voice better mm-hmm. and it just gets much better with age. by so the way um Alan Wilder will join on the next album construction okay. time again all right so he kind of he shows up uh, next year probably yep. the um the record is synth all the way, like they're strictly sent through and through. And this, my sense is the songs aren't getting, they're not getting big. So they still sound punk kind of to me. They still sound kind of in the box. They don't sound like they're trying to sing to the cheap seats in the back, which is kind of cool if you like that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I still feel like it's just, it's like it's the album where they're still forming up what will be what we know as Depeche Mode. So I, I find it interesting, especially the story coming off of losing their their leader. Um, but I don't think, again, if you put it in the reference of Depeche Mode albums, it's not anywhere near the best, and the best is still yet to come. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how – I can't call it a bad album. I didn't think it was a bad album. But it's hard when you're judging it against the band you like so much against their other output. So for me, it's it's still a thumbs down. Qualified thumbs down, but I know what's coming. Right. I'm going to give it a thumbs up just because I do like a few songs off of it, which is more than I can say for a couple of the albums that we talked about this week. So, um, yes, I will give it a thumbs up. Excellent. So the next guy is another vocalist, a little guy named Luther Vandross. Maybe you've heard of him. 
Uh, he did a record called Forever, For Always, For Love. We're going to listen to a song. It's very interesting to me, and I'll tell you why. Bad Boy Having a Party. <laughs> oh, back the rug, everybody. Move all the tables and chairs. We're going to have a circle time tonight. hear the song bad boy having a party but don't exactly think of luther vandross being the guy that should tell me about it (laughs) just saying (laughs) i try to forgive the weedle deedle scooby-doo i kind of like like it works though for him like he has such a good voice yeah, I, my, I I think my problem, I have trouble finding a way in with Luther Vandross because I find him corny. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> there, it's very corny. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is, but it's the sound of him finding his lane. Like mm-hmm. the last record, I gave it some shit because I said, well, he is like a cleaned up version of Rick James. Like there's, mm-hmm. like, there's more funk going on, but he realized, okay. The funk thing ain't my jam. I'm going to be, I'm going to style this thing to death. In fact, I, you know, I'm a great singer. I don't have to be funky. We got guys who can, um, can sing high and hard and all of that. I'm going to style it to death. And this is my style it to death record. To me, I kept comparing it to, and probably it's the other way around, but I just kept hearing Billy Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Billy Ocean was just a, Copy of Luther. Yeah, right. I'm sure people out there are like, yeah, fuck you. Billy Ocean's the Luther Vandross copy. But I, I I just was shocked that I kept hearing this going. Cause I, I, I guess being a white kid in the suburbs, I heard a lot more Billy Ocean on pop radio than Luther Mm -hmm. Vandross. So to my ears, this is like, Oh, this guy's like, sounds a lot like uh, Billy Ocean. But for this record, I was expecting, I, I guess Henry, I was expecting more Barry White, um, Barry White. Well, just a little bit more because I've always He's heard, Luther. you know, I've always heard people say, oh, put some Luther on. And I'm like, man, if you're getting no, sexy no, to Luther, this, this right. is corny as shit. No, Luther was corny. Luther was about romantic love, right? That's what his thing was, which is remarkable because he had, he had to live most of his life in the closet, basically. Yeah. But he, uh, he, it was about devoted romantic love. It wasn't about sex it wasn't about lust even like that wasn't his jam it wasn't supposed to be aggressive and and i think he figured this was the beginning of him figuring that shit out on this record well yeah and i and who am i again who am i to criticize because this this album sold i think it went three times platinum and he was on top of the r&b chart um so um, did you i I, just for me i kept going i kept expecting i never heard it really all the way through and i was like "Yeah, yeah this is some corny shit (laughs) <laughs> it was corny, but that's why. Right. It's like, it, um, did you read? I didn't know this, but he was in the backup singers for David for, Bowie. Yeah, right. Young Americans, and the reason, yeah, and the reason he even got a career, they said, was because he came out. You know, he was a strictly background vocal dude. Right. This is like 1974. Yeah. Right. He accidentally gets booked for this gig with David Bowie works on young Americans and comes with an idea for the background vocal for young Americans. And, um, David Bowie, you know, said you need to go make a career. If you, if you can find it, there's a great YouTube clip of before a show where David Bowie's going over the backup harmonies for a couple of the songs with with Luther and the female, I can't remember her name, the female backup singer too, but it's just crazy to me. The audacity now that we know what we know of Bowie going, no, 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 Luther, 
you got to do it like this. Like David Bowie showing Luther how to do a soul harmony was yeah. just like, man, that dude was doing yeah. lots of coke at the time because he was just like, he's crushing it. It's like, hey, no, 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 Luther, do it like this. Be like, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that, that's, a- that is definitely where he got his start. And I think Bowie helped him a lot to get to his solo career because he really admired him and um, thought, he was, thought he was great. There's a really good article about uh, Luther Vandross that was published, gosh, 2019, that talked about Luther Vandross and his contributions to uh, to soul music, just the mechanics of of what he did. That was kind of enlightening. Something I ran across trying to prepare for talking to you today. I was like, yeah, and every, everything I, I read, needed education. Everything I read too said how nice a person he was. Like he was yeah. like one of those like genuinely nice people in the industry, which I probably didn't run into as much. So I, I hate ripping on this album, but I was yeah. like, damn, maybe if I'd known it was corny going in, I wouldn't have disliked it as much, but I was just like, I mean, I feel like it's as corny as the Michael McDonald album. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was. Yeah. Like and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They're kind of like different versions of the same album. That's what similarities. it reminded me yeah. of when I listened to it. Even the, Freaking the album cover outwork, right, artwork. Right, it's yeah. both like pictures of them that you're are right. like really corny looking <laughs> headshots. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Fandros was like more into he wanted to emulate the divas. Yeah, he wasn't trying to be a soul man. You know? And Michael McDonald would probably say, "I was trying to be Luther." Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. And it's it's weird because I mean, uh, Luther's like the real deal. You know, at least in terms of being a vocalist, but but he didn't want to be a he wasn't trying to be a soul man. Mar- Michael McDonald was trying to be a soul guy, right? Definitely. You know. Well, I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Unfortunately, I will say that this, although I will not give this a thumbs up, it will be a thumbs down. But I, but with this is a big sign on this album that says, "Stay tuned." You you motherfuckers better not give me a hit because I will kill it. You know, that it's like a, a sign in the road. That's what I feel like. He's planting his flag. So don't give me a hit. Cause I will, you know, I will, I will rip it. And he does. And he does. So that's how I feel about it too. Like I will give it a thumbs down because I just, I think it's very corny. Like, I mean, it's not bad. It's just, I don't think it's aged very well. Like, yeah, it's just not very good, but he's still talented and it shows on the record, mm-hmm. but it's like more for like things to come. Yeah. And I think Henry on your little sign in parentheses below that, it says, oh, and by the way, I was on Young Americans with David Bowie. <laughs> by the way. An asterisk, yeah, yeah. An asterisk. all the time. Go Don't check forget. that out. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> all right. Our last record, and hopefully it'll be a thumbs up for me because I'm I'm four thumbs down so far. This is by the band The Go-Go's. The album is called Vacation. It's a Rolling Stone four-star album. And the song I'm going to play is called Vacation. <laughs>
the Go-Go's. We reviewed Beauty and the Beat back, you know what? Was it last year? Everybody liked it. Everybody loved it. You got five years to write your first album. Okay, you got Mm -hmm. five years to get it together and make it. You probably have a year to do the second one. And by the way, during that year, you're going to be on the road 250 days out of that year. Right. And one of your members, it turns out, is a heroin addict. The one writing all the songs. The one who writes all the... You're right. Right. One who writes all the songs. And and, um, and Henry and I, I just watched the Go Go's documentary on Showtime. This is why we have so much information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was great. free. It was free like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Is so it good? Snagged, yeah, it's really. Good. I think it's really okay. good. Yeah. But it, it it's was, not a. It's not like the full dish, but it's it's yeah. mostly kind of it's sort of a puff piece, but it's pretty good. But it is shocking okay. that Charlotte, the guitar player, who looks squeaky clean and the band is so dysfunctional no one else in the band knows but she is a raging heroin addict at this point you don't ever really hear about that i feel like there's like belinda who's the one that you probably like the most like noteworthy of the bunch in terms of like attention media coverage and then jane weedland too i really like her are you kidding me jane weedland she and i are separated at birth she and i She's fantastic. If you're hearing me, Jane, call me. But it's yeah, kind of weird because um, you kind of said you're separate at birth, and then you kind of said oh yeah, that's kind of we're made of the same star stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know, but uh, I love the record. I think it's good and worthy. I have no idea why it was why it didn't do as well. The only reason I can think of is that the record's a little front loaded. Just yeah. Except the album closer. The closer is brilliant. The closer worlds away is, redeems, like to my mind, the la- the three songs before it. Well, you know that I, maybe weren't great. And Henry, I hadn't listened to it like in depth in years, and then I watched the documentary, and they, as a band, kind of panned it, and they were like, "We were on the road, and we didn't really have any songs, and we were bankrupt of songs." They and had thank, songs. Thank God. I um, like this record. Yeah, and they were like, th- thank God she wrote um, Vacation and saved mm-hmm. us with the one song. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, shit, this is a good record. What are you talking about? Yeah, the only thing way you could fault it is that maybe you could say they leaned a little too hard into being like a California surf girl band, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. that in a little less punk. I don't know. It's but fascinating on the I'm documentary sure. watching how bad they were before they went on the little European tour before the first album, like they were literally could barely play and, and having people spit on them and all those kind of things and just toughen them up. And they came back. I don't think they realized that they were a great rock band. Like this second album is, is really good. I mean, for them to say, eh, it wasn't that great. It's kind of amazing to me. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised going back to it because I think it's more than just one hit song and a bunch of filler. Yeah, I think so too. I was I was pleasantly surprised by it because I didn't really have high expectations mm-hmm. for the record. I mean, I liked Beauty and the Beat. I thought that was good, but I don't know. I've never taken them really that seriously. But this record, of course, like the title, like the track, Vacation, I know that. Everybody knows that song. But the whole record is good. Yeah, I agree. And I think, Henry, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a, there was a stat from the documentary that said, their debut album went to number one. It was there for like eight weeks or 10 weeks and only five bands debut albums have ever done that. And they're the only all girl band oh, who yeah. wrote all their own songs to do that. And they are that not in the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. What yeah, it's the fuck? travesty? It's a travesty because that they truly were a good band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's sad because the documentary shows they went through all the rock cliches within three albums and broke up. <laughs> But you're like, well, they were the first, of course. I mean, like, they didn't know these things going into it. They started the band just to be playing music because they were in the punk scene and they were like, I don't want to just be hanging out. I want to play music too. And then they got, they went through the whole thing by this album where they're like, wait a minute, why are the people writing songs getting more than the people playing the songs? And they started having animosity and then there's drug right. problems and they're all sleeping around with people and doing all kinds of drugs and having fun. And all of a sudden, it's the cliche, but, but God love them. What they did within a three album span, I have no idea why they're not in the rock and roll hall of fame. Well, uh, there's, there's certainly no reason why this record, this record should have been more popular than it was mm-hmm. on the strength, in the, on the strength of side a alone. Mm-hmm. 
And, yeah. Uh, and, and just the, and the last song on side B. I think it's great. I'm, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up Same. for me too. All right. Well, that leads us with our picks of the episode, guys. And since I, I mean, this is the only record I gave a thumbs up to, obviously it's going to be my pick of the episode. Well, I mean, me too. So what's up with that? Right. Megan, how about you? I'll pick Depeche Mode. Oh, what a great Depeche Mode fan you are. I what hope Martin's fan. listening. I do like this record, though. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll give it to you. Even though it's like not my favorite Depeche Mode record. I do like it. Somebody's got to stick up for the Depeche Mode. They're going to have lots of they're going to have lots of positive reviews later on. I feel. Hopefully, I'll get to see them in concert again someday. Hopefully, but we do hope that that happens in our world yeah. eventually. Someday. Uh, all right, Henry, you want to wrap us up? Give us the plug. Yeah. So yeah, if you like our show or if you like the records that we are choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes and other places. It helps people find us. We've gotten a, a lot of traction lately with our pod, and we appreciate people uh, sharing it with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and on YouTube. We have the raw feed on YouTube. You can mm-hmm. see all our pretty faces. Um <laughs> With our makeup on and everything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed and email us like Carla did at 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You yep. can also find us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Hank G. What about you guys? Mine is at TCI Duke. I don't have Twitter, but I have an Instagram and it's at Bastards of Young 92. Excellent. Very good. And like we said, we love to get feedback from listeners. And if there's something that we missed reviewing or that we um, that you want us to cover that we didn't, let us know. Henry, I think you're also working on a Greatest Misses uh, episode, that, right? That's right. We started a, a little doc that talks about Greatest Misses. I realized that there's cool. a few records that we missed that we didn't uh, that we didn't cover. And we'll mm-hmm. pile all those into one sort of Greatest Misses app here, maybe the next um I'm thinking next six to eight months, probably. Yeah, that sounds fun. Let's collect it together. Yeah, it sounds great. So, all right, Chris, Megan, guess what? <gasps> what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>